A few weeks ago, the uh, elders met together. We had a day of retreat and prayer, just seeking out the Lord's heart. And uh, what we are hoping is discerning is a, a kind of a focus for us as a church community at, at West Penno for 2022. And it was fairly unanimous that we felt that a real push into discipleship was something that we should be focusing in on. Now, discipleship should be a Christianity 101, a following Jesus 101, that those who claim to follow Jesus are called disciples. But we thought that there was a good, uh, well, we felt that it was necessary for us to push deeper into discipleship. What does it really mean to take on Jesus, not only as our saviour, the one who died sacrificially for our sins and raised again and will return again. He's, he's the one who has saved us from our sins. But to also acknowledge Jesus as our Lord, the one whom we follow, our teacher, our rabbi, our master, the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who's walked before us. And what does it look like in our everyday lives to truly follow after Jesus, to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and follow him, no matter whether you are out in kids' church or you're going to school or you're at university or you're in between or you're at work or you're retired or wherever age and stage you are, what does it mean for you to be an authentic, dedicated, obedient follower of Jesus Christ in all seasons of life? And to really push into that this year. And we had already, uh, before that retreat day, had put in place the idea of doing a series in the Gospel of Luke and looking at the parables of Jesus, the upside-down kingdom. And it just so happens, I think, that this is such a great way for us to then look at what does it look like for us to be followers of Jesus as disciples in the kingdom of of God that Jesus came to demonstrate, to inaugurate, and ultimately one day will consummate and we will be in in eternity. So there's a few things today that I want to just explore on the outset of getting into this series, which we will be doing up until Easter, of the, the parables in the Gospel of Luke, the upside down kingdom. And that is, I want to look at the kingdom of God a little bit more. I want us to have just a little bit of a better definition and understanding of what is the kingdom of God. And then also, since we're going to be spending a few months on it, look at parables. What is a parable? And then we're going to get into the parable of the soul, which I think is a great way to start. Because this is really a parable of, of hearts and how we are willing to, to receive or as the very last verse there said, be very careful then how you listen. So let me pray, and then let's get into it. Our Father God, we are desperately in need of you, your work, your word, your guidance, your understanding. We pray that by your Spirit you would allow us to hear what you're speaking and saying to us and what you're showing to us today through your word. Father, if there be anything that comes from my mouth that is not 
of you or glorifying or honoring for you, then may you allow that to burn away like the chaff. But Father, humbly by your spirit, may you uh, speak words for our encouragement, equipping and building up as your church, as your body, as your people, as your family, as disciples of Jesus. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, the first thing I want to have a little bit of a chat about are parables. Since we're going through this series in parables, I want us to think a little bit more about what they are. Well, the word itself, the Greek word, comes from two combined words, para, which is like alongside, and bole, which is to throw. In fact, in the Gospels, often in the Greek, when it talks about how Jesus cast out demons, it was the bole, he threw out demons from people. But para means alongside. And so what we find Jesus doing is telling this story, and that's like one stream, that's one track, but then alongside it, right next to it, comes some spiritual truths or a lesson about the kingdom of God or about God and his person and work and his nature or about Jesus and his work in the world, his salvation work. A spiritual truth and somewhat concealed and somewhat hidden because if you don't have the ears to hear, then you'll just see it as a nice story. But for those who are hungry and thirsty... For those who are eager to understand, then you will have the ears to hear and the hearts to receive. And Jesus wasn't afraid of allowing some people to walk away if they weren't willing. You might remember in John's Gospel where Jesus started to teach what his disciples said was a really hard teacher. He said, no, my, my flesh is like real food and my blood is like real drink. And the disciples said, this, this is too hard. We can't take that. And it says that some disciples moved on and walked on from that. It, it's slightly frightening, perhaps, because we think that uh, all, always, that uh, no matter what, Jesus is always just inviting people in, which he is in a sense. But if you decide that, no, nah, look, I don't really want to keep listening or keep following, then Jesus isn't going to make you. He gives us our own will and our own decisions. So he speaks in parables. They're not like riddles. They're, they're stories taken from the culture and the context of his day that people would understand on the one surface level. And in fact, in telling stories like this, what Jesus also did brilliantly was he, he allowed the, the teaching of God to be not just some high theological thing that was kept in the temples, but he brought it down to the everyday person, the you and the me's, so that we could understand and that we could have the ears to hear and the hearts to receive. I, in reading and researching a little bit more into this message, I came across the Bible Project. Who has seen the Bible Project? Yeah, a really great collective of people that have put together really helpful uh, videos more often than not. Uh, of different either stories in the Bible, teaching the Bible, or things like that. And I came across one on parables. And, you know, it's like a five-minute clip, but I thought, this is going to say a lot of things better than I can. So I'm going to hand over to, I think, Mark to perhaps show us 
this video for like five minutes on how to read the parables. And I think it'll be helpful for us as then we enter into this series over the next few months. Thanks. Jesus of Nazareth was a master teacher, and some of his most well-known teachings are told in short stories called parables. Yeah, like the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant who was looking for pearls, and when he found the ultimate pearl, he sold everything so that he could buy it. Must have been some pretty amazing pearl. Or the kingdom of God is like a tiny mustard seed that a farmer planted in his garden. It grew and became a huge tree, and birds came to perch in its branches. And that's a beautiful image, but... What does it mean? Exactly. Jesus didn't tell parables to make everything clear. Rather, he wanted to provoke the imagination and invite people to see what God is doing in the world from a new perspective. So let's talk about how to read the parables of Jesus. Now, there's many great teachers that throughout history have used stories to teach students about morality, religion, philosophy. But Jesus didn't use his parables to teach abstract religious or moral ideals. He said that his parables were about himself and his mission. His mission, which was to announce that the kingdom of God was arriving on earth as it is in heaven. Right. So in Jesus' day, the Israelites were ruled by the Roman Empire. But their scriptures promised that one day their God would come to rule rule his people as king. And so many Israelites wanted to revolt against Rome and fight for their freedom. And this is what some people thought of as the kingdom of God. Exactly. But Jesus was a poor, traveling prophet, healing the sick, inviting people to follow him. And he said that this was the arrival of God's kingdom. And that didn't fit people's expectations. Right. And so Jesus used some parables to help people imagine that his small movement was the arrival of God's kingdom. Oh, yeah, like the parable that the kingdom of God is yeast hidden in a lump of dough. And you might not see its influence, but it's going to change everything. Jesus also told parables about the upside-down values of God's kingdom, about how the least important people in the world are actually the most important people to God, especially those who are poor and of low status. Yeah, like the parable about the business owner who hired workers throughout the day, in the morning, later in the day, and even towards the end of the day. And when it was time to pay everyone, he paid them all the same wage. Right. Jesus is showing how money and status are irrelevant to God, who offers his generous mercy to everybody. Now, not all of the parables have happy endings. Some are really intense. Yes, Jesus stood in the tradition of Israel's prophets, who also told parables to criticize Israel's leaders because they mistook their kingdom for God's. So Jesus warned the leaders of his day, if they don't accept his offer of God's kingdom, they're headed for destruction. Yeah, like the parable of the landowner who built a wonderful vineyard, and he expects it to produce fruit. Yes, Jesus gets this parable from the prophet Isaiah, but then he adapts it. Right, and so the landowner appoints managers to take care of this vineyard. And at harvest, he sends servants to collect the fruit. But those managers kill the servants. And so the landowner sends his own son to confront the managers, and they kill him too. And so Jesus asked the people around him, what do you all think this landowner should do? Oh, he's going to punish those managers and hire new ones. Jesus knew that if Israel kept on their current path, they would be destroyed by Rome. And so in parables like this, he's forcing people to make a decision about his offer of God's kingdom. Are people going to reject him, ignore him, or trust and follow him? 
Now, if this message of God's kingdom is so important, why cloak it in parables? Why not be more clear? Well, through riddles and parables, Jesus could make really bold claims that revealed truth to people who were open-minded. For those who have ears to hear, they could ponder it and go deeper. But the parables would also conceal his message from those who were against him so that he could buy more time. Buy time for what? Well, Jesus was preparing his closest followers for the greatest surprise yet. Jesus claimed that Israel's God was coming to rule over his people not through coercion or violent force, but through self-giving love as he was going to die for their sins. But his death wasn't the end. Right. He said that his death would be like a tiny seed buried in the ground. But then it would grow and produce a crop with many seeds. So these parables, they explain who Jesus was and what he was up to. And the gospel authors have preserved these parables so that now every generation of Jesus' followers can read and ponder them. And imagine how God's kingdom is still at work even today. Right. These ancient parables are still full of new surprises and challenges. They're like a storehouse packed with treasures, some that are new, some that are old, and it's all just waiting to be discovered. Well, I hope you found that helpful. And look, look up the Bible Project. If you want to watch that again, you'll find that online to remind yourself and be challenged about the parables of Jesus. Jesus, the master storyteller. And I love it that he tells stories and those stories intersect with our stories and challenge us on how we can live faithfully and follow after Jesus. Now, you may have picked up that even in uh, what they said in that video and what I was saying earlier, that often the subject of the parables is the kingdom, the kingdom of God, or if you're in Matthew's gospel, the kingdom of heaven. They're the same thing. And the kingdom of God is something that Jesus taught and spoke the most about in his earthly ministry. Mentioned over about 80 times in his teachings, the kingdom of God. Of God. So I want us to understand a little bit more about what is the kingdom of God because there was that expectation in the early days the kingdom of God meant the militant rule of God over Rome and Israel being uh, promoted to the highest status and the highest nation in the planet and them ruling over it with a king. But Jesus spoke about an upside down kind of kingdom. We see in the gospel, even just in Luke's gospel, Jesus said in in Luke 4, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns also, because that's why I was sent. So we should listen up. If Jesus says proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God is why he was sent, then as disciples and followers of Jesus, we should be asking ourselves, what is that then? And even at the beginning of this passage that we saw in chapter 8, after this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. So Jesus spoke about this. A couple of uh, authors, theologians, who have uh, put in a few words to kind of help us understand what the kingdom of God is. One said, the kingdom of God's the realm where God reigns. Supreme, you know, rules. Jesus Christ is the king. And in this kingdom, 
God's authority is recognized. His will is obeyed. The concept of a kingdom of God is not primarily one of space, territory, or politics as in a national kingdom, but rather one of kingly rule, reign, and sovereign control, and I would add, in the lives of his followers and believers. But I quite like the simple way that uh, the Old Testament scholar Graham uh, Goldsworthy says, it's God's people in God's place under God's rule. (laughs) That's pretty succinct and pretty precise. It's God's people in God's place where he has placed them, not, not a specific location, but wherever we are, under God's rule, recognizing his ways, living out his ways. And in, in Matthew, uh, we have the Sermon on the Mount. And that's really a, a manifesto, too, of what the kingdom of God is like. The teaching that Jesus gives in that Sermon on the Mount is also a revolutionary, upside-down kind of thinking of how God, God's ways are, what God's heart is like, and what it looks like to follow Jesus. And guess what? When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons to cure disease, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal those who were ill. Jesus passed this on to his disciples to also go out and declare and claim the kingdom of God. And by then, uh, down the line, those of us who call ourselves disciples were also called to proclaim the kingdom of God, God's rule, God's reign, and to live that out in this world. So I hope that that helps you just get a little bit better of an understanding of the kingdom of God and how that fits in as a disciple of Jesus. So now I want to spend a bit of time looking at this parable This parable of the sower is what it actually says in most of the Bibles and most translations that I've seen. Now, that heading, just to be clear, isn't scriptural. That's uh, put in there by those who are uh, wanting to break down the, the, the chapters and give titles to different sections. And I would actually challenge that heading to say, I think this is more about the parable of the four soils. The sower is involved, of course, And so is the seed, yes, but what's Jesus' challenge in this? It's about what's your heart like? How are you receiving the seed, the word that is sown, that's shared with you, that someone has shared or that Jesus has shared? Do you have ears to hear? Are you being careful with how you listen? And what are you doing with the information that you've been given? Because you've got four options, haven't we, in this parable of the four soils. There's the hard, trodden-down pathway. There's the shallow, rocky soil. There's the soil with weeds and thorns. And then there's a good soil. So as we look at this parable now... Uh, we, we get the brilliant uh, master himself, Jesus, teaching us what they actually mean because he shares the story 
And then later the disciples come and they say, wow, what, what was really going on with that story? They were pursuing, right? They didn't just leave it as a story. They actually sought after an answer. They had ears that were willing to hear, hearts that were willing to receive, and they, they chased after the, the answer. And that's what I encourage us to do this morning as we look at these four soils, these four hearts I want you to be pursuing God and asking, what are you challenging me about? What's the condition of my heart? And how can I have a heart that's like good soil that is ready to bear fruit, a crop, 30, 60, or 100 times? One of the things that I think is really important as we look at these four hearts or these four soils, and this is a slight Greek lesson, I'm sorry, but it's important, I think, because in all four instances in this parable, Jesus uses a different preposition just before he speaks about the seed. When he says that some fell in the four different soils, some either fell para which is beside, and that's the one on the path. The seed is just on the side. Some fell on, and it's epi, which is just on the surface in the rocky, shallow ground. En meso, some fell in the midst of, in the midst of the weeds and the thorns, but the fourth one, ice. Some fell ice into. I mean, there's a lesson straight away, isn't there, when you think about receiving the teaching of Jesus. Is that something that's just beside on the surface? Is it something that, yes, it's it's on, but it hasn't gone down? Is it something that's just amongst everything else? Or is it in? Have you allowed it to go in? So I hope we all have ice hearts this morning. Not cold hearts, ice hearts, seeds where it goes into. The parable of the four soils, the four hearts. I'm just going to move into the explanation part that Jesus says. And first we want to look at those the soil, uh, the seed that falls on the path. Now, the sower, just to backtrack for a moment, Jesus doesn't identify himself as the sower or the farmer. He just says it's those who share, those who spread, those who speak. So, in fact, any of us in this story, so to speak, can be those who are sharing God's word. Whenever we share the good news, whenever we share the gospel, or the teaching of the kingdom of God and what it is to be a follower of Jesus, we're like farmers that are sowing seeds. And the seed, well, Jesus tells us that's the word. In fact, I think in, in Matthew's gospel, it specifically says it's the word of, it's about the kingdom when everyone shares about the kingdom. So it is talking about what it's like to live in the rule and reign of God in the kingdom of heaven, in the kingdom of God. So we can all be farmers, we can all be sowers, we can all share the gospel, the word, the seed. And we know 
I guess in our history of people who we have seen that have one of the four different kinds of soils of hearts, and I get that, but this morning, like I said, I want us to actually reflect on what Jesus is speaking to us through his word and what the condition of our heart is like. So Jesus says this in chapter 8, verse 11, when he explains the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Now those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. A couple of points that I just want to make about this. Firstly, recognize that Jesus spells it out There is a spiritual battle going on for the souls of people. That when we do share the gospel, or even now as perhaps I'm sharing something to you, be aware of the enemy that wants to steal that, that doesn't want the message of God, the challenge to be a faithful disciple of Jesus, doesn't want that to go in, wants that just to be para on the side wants to be able to steal that away. The devil, he says in in Luke, in in Matthew, says the evil one. In Mark's gospel, Mark outright says it's Satan that comes and steals it away. So recognize the spiritual battle that's going on for your discipleship, for your obedient fellowship of Jesus, or for those who are yet to be saved whenever we share the gospel or whenever they hear it. Be aware of that. Pray against that. The second thing I want to note is that this is a hard heart, isn't it? It's a heart that can't receive it. Unwilling. There's no room for that seed to go in on the path because it's been trodden on too hard. It's a walkway. Now, I want to just sort of go, it's not the direct message of what Jesus is teaching in here, but I want to just address the hardness in each of our hearts. Because we all have parts of our heart, I think, that are a little bit hard. And it's a spiritual work to change that. We need Jesus, the message of the kingdom of God. We need that to allow our hearts to become good, nourishing soil that can receive the challenge and the seed. So there's two things. There's a spiritual battle going on. And secondly, check the hardness of your heart or perhaps areas in your heart that are hard. And how can you ask God to give you a new heart, a heart of flesh, not a heart of stone, as it says in Ezekiel. God says he'll do that. So I want to stop. I want to pray. And then we'll move on to the second. God, firstly, we acknowledge that we are in a spiritual battle, a spiritual battle for souls, for people who come to you, but also in our own discipleship where the devil is prowling around like a lion looking to steal, kill and destroy, wanting to snatch away the seed of the gospel, whether it be for those coming to faith or for us as we desire to continue to push into our faith. We pray against him and his schemes, 
We ask in the name of Jesus that you would remove any foothold the enemy has in our hearts that has made them hard. hard. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would then also soften our hearts. It's a spiritual work. It's supernatural. We cannot do that. We just submit it to you. The areas in our heart that we know are hard, that you are challenging us with, that we're not handing over to you, the things we wrestle and struggle with, Oh, Lord Jesus, create in us a new heart. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Perhaps you've never received the seed. Perhaps you've never received the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Perhaps you have a heart like the path and it's never gone in. I encourage you, no matter where you are and what stage you're at, If you hear his voice today, do not harden your hearts, as the psalmist said and as Hebrews echoes. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Come to Jesus. The second is those who fell on the rocky ground, the seed that fell on the rocky ground. They're the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They they believe for a while, in the time of testing, they fall away. I wish I didn't know as many people as I do that I feel fall into this category. I remember from my days in high school particularly, many people who I felt was, uh, they came to faith in Jesus, but then it didn't take long after, perhaps it was just a, an emotional thing, and they didn't dig down in their faith, And they fell away. We can hope and pray that the initial perhaps coming to faith was genuine and perhaps one day they'll they'll return prodigal sons and daughters. But, But the warning is here for us now, today, for a shallow faith. This is an invitation to go beyond the rocky ground and to ask God to sift out the rocks so that you can go deeper. To not have an immature, shallow faith. But that requires ears to hear. It requires an eager pursuit in discipleship. To not just leave it at, yes, I trust you, Jesus, as my saviour, but to follow him as your Lord. And that's the thing we want to push into in discipleship. We trust Jesus as our saviour, but is he our Lord, our master, our teacher, our rabbi? The one who we listen to and trust and learn from and follow. Are there some rocky parts in your heart? Not a hard heart, but rocky parts that the faith is there, but it's not able to grow deeper. Do you feel like you're perhaps a shallow, immature Christian? That in times of testing, you'd fall away. That when push comes to shove, your faith is actually just swaying in the breeze without having a deep root. Well, I want to stop. I want to pray. I also want to say the antidote is pushing into Jesus as disciples, to go deeper with him 
deeper in his word, deeper in your love relationship with him and see your, your discipleship and your relationship with God bloom and blossom and grow. I want to pause, I want to stop, I want to pray for the seed in the rocky ground in our hearts. Our God, in this moment, we just pray for all those who perhaps feel that their faith is shallow, perhaps immature, perhaps just doubting, but Lord, we just push into that space asking that you would remove those rocks, that you would allow us to have a faith that grows deeper, as we seek you, as we learn to trust and depend on you, have faith in you, listen and obey and accept your word and to follow you. Highlight in our hearts, Lord, where are the rocks? Holy Spirit, do that supernatural work of removing them. Give us a hunger and a thirst for you that we may have roots that go down deep. Remove any hindrances we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thirdly, there's the seeds that fell on the thorns. And they stand for those who hear it, but as they go on their way, they're choked by life's worries riches and pleasures and they do not mature in the other gospels it says the deceit of wealth the seat of riches the deceit the deceptiveness of it life's worries wow <laughs> the finger of god i think a point in each and every one of us there right as we cling to our faith and yet when times of testing and worries come, we feel the thorns tightening around us, don't we? Riches and pleasures, seeking after what the world has to offer. It's a very worldly uh, aspect in this particular soil, isn't it? seeking after the deceit of wealth and riches. I mean, our world is turning on that. Everything is based around money and riches and getting more and earning more and having more. Yet in Jesus' upside-down kingdom, that means nothing. We'll hear parables about that as we go through in a few weeks' time, those who store up riches for themselves and yet it amounts to nothing. Friends, in this culture, in this city, in this suburb, in our neighbourhoods, there are thorns everywhere, aren't there? We can feel them. Worries, wealth, riches, pleasure... It's a concoction <laughs> of, of thorniness. None of it's good. And when our heart is focused on those things, though well, that's not focused on Jesus. And in this upside-down kingdom, they mean nothing. I'm going to pause. I'm going to pray for the thorns in our lives because it says that 
with these things entangling us, you do not mature. And that's not what we want as followers of Jesus. God, we all confess that we struggle with worry at times in our circumstances. Lord, we all confess that the temptation of having more, earning more, or just wanting more, that idol is so often in front of us and seeking after our own pleasures in whatever way, shape or form they are, instead of seeking after you and being satisfied and tasting and seeing that the Lord is good and being satisfied as with the richest of food from you. We take a moment, Holy Spirit, show us, convict us, help us, challenge us, give us a way out. Jesus, speak to our hearts in these areas. Help us to have a revolution in our hearts, in these things that consume our society and our culture, that we might be radical followers of Jesus, not followers of this world. We pray in his name. Amen. Finally, we've reached the good soil. And this is where Jesus, he, he spells it out really well. He said, but the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart. It's clear it's about hearts here and receiving. Those with a, a noble and good heart who hear the word, they retain it, and by persevering, by enduring, by pushing in, they will produce a crop. Now this is, this is every disciple's yearning, I hope and pray, and I hope that this is all of our yearnings as well, that our hearts would be good soil where the seed goes ice, <laughs> in, right in, and is allowed to produce fruit, is allowed to produce a crop in our lives, and then, Lord willing, as we uh, cling to the vine, bear fruit for others as well. A noble and good heart who hear the word. So, friends, this is that encouragement. Are you hearing? Do you have ears to hear? Are you willing to accept it and then retain it, keep it in, ponder it, think on it, act on it, and persevere? Persevere, endure, push into it. Don't give up. Whether it's from the mountaintop or the valley low, whether you're sinking or swimming, but to persevere and push into Jesus, no matter what. And you will produce a crop. You will produce fruit. Don't get caught up thinking that that means it must be like, oh, we'll see thousands of people come to be saved whenever I open my lips. No, this is the upside-down kingdom. 
the fruit and the 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 uh, crop is in the small ways. It's in the small obedient ways that you'll find yourself victorious over temptation, over sin, over the enemy. It's in those small conversations that you'll have with your colleague at work or at school or your friend or your neighbor. It's when your whole vision is turned and the lens that you see things through are from God's ways and God's heart rather than the world's. This produces fruit. This produces a crop. When, when you're becoming more and more like Jesus, this is bearing fruit. Maybe it will be in big ways as well. And we pray for that. Great. <laughs> See revival. But remember, the lady who gave the two measly coins was the one who gave the most out of everyone. In this upside-down kingdom, it's not all about numbers and flashiness. and It's about our hearts. I want to pray that we would continue as I finish now seeking to have hearts that are good soil, ears that will hear and listen. And listen means obeying as well. And you hear it, and you trust, and you move on it. Let's pray for good soil in our hearts, and then we're going to finish with a final song. Our God, we lift our hearts before you. We've acknowledged the, the hardness. We've acknowledged the rocks. We've acknowledged the, the thorns that can sometimes be there. But God, we're asking for you to do a work in our hearts that allows us to have good soil, rich and ready for your kingdom, for your gospel, for your word, instruction, your teaching to take root. And as we persevere and push into that, that you will grow and you will produce fruit. You will produce a crop 30, 60, 100 times, whatever is your will. Father, we pray for our hearts. Collectively, as a church community, as individuals, we lay them before you. We ask that you would have your way in our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.